So I'm very happy to be with all of you today. Uh, this is my text in Spanish. I'll speak in English and then do a little bit of a summary after each section uh, in Spanish for our Spanish speakers today. But today I want to speak to you about what it means to be a spiritual entrepreneur, uh, what it means then uh, to not only be forward-looking, but also to have a remembrance of the past with respect to our vocation as men, and then to think about the present moment and how we are called to be saints, in particular how we are to call, called to follow the example of Mary uh, and her uh, Immaculate Heart, which was dedicated uh, to her son. So in January, I went to St. Louis uh, for the Fellowship of Catholic University students, FOCUS. They have their annual Sikh conference. Somehow or the other, being the youngest bishop there, I got stuck with having Mass on the first full day of the conference. And so I decided to talk about what it means to be a spiritual entrepreneur. Uh, very often when I was a seminary professor and formator, I used to talk about to our seminarians, oh, you should be a spiritual entrepreneur. You should have something, you know, some show some initiative. But nobody ever actually asked me specifically, what does it mean to be a spiritual entrepreneur? But as I've come to Columbus, I'm trying to get to know people in the community, uh, people who are men of business, people who are men of influence in the political world, church people, and so on and so forth. So one day I was having a lunch with uh, Don DePero, who's the president and CEO of the Columbus Chamber of Commerce. And I said, you know, Don, I talk about, and I talked about when I was ordained as a bishop, two priorities for the diocese, uh, evangelization and vocations. And to evangelize, you have to go out and preach good news, but I want people to really have an entrepreneurial spirit. I said, the only thing is, is nobody ever asked me, who is an entrepreneur? What is an entrepreneur? But I said, you're a man of business. Why don't you tell me what you think? And so he kind of said, well, well, Bishop, you know, the first thing about uh, an entrepreneur is that he is a man of vision. It says in the Scriptures, without vision, the people perish. So we have to have a vision, and as Catholics, our vision is given to us by Jesus himself. It's the good news of salvation. It's a vision for salvation of the world. It's a vision of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. It's a vision of being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to set the world on fire. What is our vision for how the world should be of the kingdom of God, of a kingdom of justice and peace and truth? But he said, related to that then, you have to have a vision but he said, you have to also think, am I going to be a leader or a manager? A manager is one who manages personnel, who confronts problems as they arise, and so on and so forth. A leader is the one who sets the vision. And I think that's something for us to think about as men. Am I simply a, lead, am I simply a manager? a manager of my family, a manager at my work, a manager within my parish, dealing with things as they come at me? Or am I a leader? Do I set the vision for my family? Here's where the Lord's leading us. Here's where we're going to go. Here's how we're going to get there. What is the vision? I often would prepare couples for marriage, and I would ask the couples, if you were to have a mission statement for your new family, which you're forming, what would it be? Joshua, you will recall, says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But what about you and your household? What is your mission? What is your vision for how your family life should be or how your work should be? Are you going to be a leader? We as men are called to be spiritual leaders and to cast the vision, but our vision 
isn't really our own, it's given to us from the gospel. But how do we apply it in our particular circumstances where God has placed us today? Are we merely going to be passive, private, reactive to everything, or are we actually going to lead and to lead by example? So he said, an entrepreneur is a man of vision. He is one who is a leader. But then he went on to say, an entrepreneur is also someone who is focused. He is focused on the mission at hand. He has a vision, but we have to make that vision a reality. And yet we are so distracted today. Most of the time we're distracted by something that looks like this. We're always on our phones, on our iPads, on our television. Lent is a special time for focusing, to have silence, to have peace, to be still, to listen to the voice of God. But we're constantly being distracted but we're being distracted from building the kingdom. We're being distracted from making that vision a reality. He said in the business world, a true entrepreneur is self-aware. He knows what his strengths are. He knows what his weaknesses are. But he also realizes he doesn't have to do everything himself. He casts the vision, but then he surrounds himself with people with different gifts and talents. For example, Some people are big picture sorts of guys. Other people are very, very attentive to detail. He said very often the entrepreneur is not that attentive to detail. He's the big picture guy. He casts the vision, but he knows I need people who can be attentive to detail, who can do the hard work to make the vision a reality. And so rather than suppress the gifts and talents of the others, he identifies them. That's what we sort of need to do. What are the gifts and talents of the other members of my family, so that it's not all about me? And how do I bring those gifts and talents out? How do I help them to develop them so that our whole family unit is firing on all cylinders to make the vision a reality? The same could be said in work, right? Who are the people around me? They aren't my competitors just trying to get ahead, trying to get the promotion instead of me. Rather, there's a sense of teamwork. How do we have this sense of teamwork, and realize that, and especially in the body of Christ, we have different gifts and talents which complement each other to make the vision a a reality. A spiritual entrepreneur, then, is not only one who has vision, but one who is focused. St. Ignatius of Loyola, in in the spiritual exercises, talks about staying focused on our final end. Our final end is God Himself and heaven Right? And so we should pursue those things which lead us toward our final end and let go of those things which distract us from reaching our goal, our destiny in God. What are those things that distract us? A day like this is a good day for self-examination. And what are those things and conditions which help us to focus on the task at hand? Sometimes we don't even think about the task at hand. We're just living one moment to the next, to the next, to the next. Sometimes people were doing this during the time of the pandemic, leading up to the pandemic, nearly two years ago, right? People thought about their work and all the things they had to do. Sometimes they even had plans about what they would like to do. And career was everything, and then all of a sudden it all collapsed. Everything shut down. And what was left? What truly mattered? People said, oh, Father, I I wish I had more time to come to church, and I wish I had more time with my family. I wish I had time to pray. And then they got all the time in the world they wanted. And you know what? They didn't know how to pray. 
They didn't know how to be with their families. They didn't know what they were about because they had completely defined themselves by work instead of by God and the pursuit of heaven. An entrepreneur is one who not only has a vis- casts a vision and leads, but is one who is focused and can bring out the gifts and talents of others. Thirdly, he said, an entrepreneur is a salesman. He has a vision. He knows what he wants to do. He surrounds himself with the people. He wants to make the vision a reality, but then he has to get other people to buy into the vision. This is what Jesus sort of did when he went around preaching the kingdom of God. He would heal, he would perform his miracles, but he would also have one-on-one encounters with people. He would call them, and we'll hear in the gospel later on today, the call of St. Matthew, right? Follow me. There must have been something about Jesus' presence. He would have to get people to buy in by teaching, sometimes by delighting. He delighted the crowds at times, and by persuading, engaging people in argumentation and debate, even the scribes and the Pharisees. So, too, we have to teach, delight, and persuade. We have to be salesmen and say, you know, this is the vision. Here's why I'm convicted of the vision. I'm not ashamed of the vision, and here's why you should believe in this vision. Do we do that with respect to faith? You have to be a salesman. What if I told all my priests, your salary each year will be based on the number of converts to the Catholic faith that you have, the number of baptisms you have, the number of first communions, the number of confessions. I can, I tell you, every one of your priests would be knocking on every single door because his survival depends on it. They'd be salesmen. Here's why you should buy in. Here's why Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Here's why the Catholic Church is the true church founded by Christ. And here's what it offers you, salvation. Well, you know what? All of us are called to be salesmen in that regard. Because what Christ offers us is salvation. No mere product. True happiness, true joy. We're called to be spiritual entrepreneurs and to to be salesmen, to be enthusiastic about the mission, not just going through the motions. If you have a vision, let's imagine you're at work and your boss gives you a task, and you're just sort of doing a little bit each day, checking in, checking out, do you think you're ever actually going to get promoted? Do you think your coworkers are going to say, yeah, this is the guy I want to surround, be, be like? Or if you're hardworking and you're a person of integrity, are they going to say, I want to be like him? We're going to get this job done. Look, together we can make it happen. A spiritual entrepreneur is a salesman. But a spiritual entrepreneur and an entrepreneur in general, is also someone who is a person of integrity. People don't want to work for dishonest people who only want to get ahead. They want to work for someone who is hardworking, who is trustworthy, who is just and treats them fairly and with kindness and respect. They want people who of integrity. Pope Benedict XVI, in his last encyclical letter, talked about the financial crisis back in 2008. He said it's not a result of a lack of intelligent people or a lack of technology. Rather, it's a lack, it was a lack of virtue in those people who had great intelligence. They knew exactly what they were doing with money, but they could only care about making more money and not about serving the common good. Are we persons of integrity? And am I a man of integrity who models this within my family? Do I show forth those virtues to my children and to my children's children of honesty, hard work, purity of heart, watching my speech and being prudent in my speech? 
What type of man am I? What type of public witness do I give in work and in my family? Do I lead by example in terms of virtue? Jesus was the true Son of God, yet He exhibited humility. He was the Son of God, and yet He lived very simply, relying on His heavenly Father for everything. He was the Son of God, and yet He was willing to suffer and sacrifice for others. And so a spiritual entrepreneur casts a vision. He is the leader. He is focused on his task at hand, surrounding himself with those people who can help make the vision a reality, bringing out their talents and gifts. He is one who is a salesman, says, this is the vision, this is why you should buy into it, this is what will bring you true happiness and joy. And because he practices what he preaches, he's a person of integrity, people are drawn to him. They say, look, this is what we're looking for. Think about it. Why were all the crowds in the Scriptures not delighted in what the scribes and Pharisees were saying? Did not Jesus say time and time again, you hypocrites? It's interesting, in Greek, hypocrite is real, was really a word for actor. Pretending to be someone whom you are not. And then it took on a derogatory uh, kind, of, kind of connotation. Am I a person, a man of integrity? Finally, Don DePero said to me, finally, Bishop, you know, uh, an entrepreneur is really a servant leader. And I kind of rolled my eyes. I said, you know, Don, they, they talked to us about servant leadership when I was in seminary back in the 90s. You know, and in the 90s, it kind of sounded, sounded pretty 70s-ish. Uh, I said, if I were to say that to our seminarians, our young priests, they'd probably roll their eyes and say, um, uh, well, you know, Bishop, that sounds very 90s-ish. And it, it probably, maybe it'd be right. But he said, you know what, Bishop, let me pray it to you a different way. Being a servant leader means you're ready to sacrifice yourself first rather than uh, those who work for you. Are you ready to sacrifice yourself first or others first? It made me think of my friend, Father Jamie Weber. He's my best friend back in Cincinnati. And his father uh, ran a machine tool part company called Positrol, poorly named. But it was a good company, but in the Carter Ford years, they were struggling. The whole economy was bad, not unlike today. And he was having trouble making payroll. But rather than lay his workers off, he went to his family savings and withdrew his family savings to pay his workers because those workers had families and they had kids who needed to eat. That is servant leadership ready to sacrifice his own livelihood so that others might have life. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He poured himself out. He poured out his own blood so that we might have life and have it to the full. To be a spiritual entrepreneur. This is what God is calling us to do. So when you think about your own family, what are you prepared to sacrifice for them? Are you prepared to sacrifice and lay down your life for your wife and your kids? We all say yes. What's the proof? Why should I believe you when you say yes? If you looked at your life, you, say, you could say, Bishop, this is why. This is what I've done, blah, 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 blah. And I'd say, okay, there's the proof. You know, but the proof is actually in the pudding. We actually have to go out and be servant leaders. We see this in Jesus not only when he lays down his life on the cross, but we see it when he washes his own disciples' feet at the Last Supper. He who is their Lord and Master did this for them. How do you embody servant leadership? 
And so being a spiritual entrepreneur is part of the mission of evangelization here in the Diocese of Columbus. We're on the verge of launching a $20 million campaign for this diocese on forming spiritual entrepreneurs. Three million of that is going to go for the Ohio State Newman Center because our college students need to be formed in the values of the gospel to go out and give that vision to their peers on that campus and wherever they happen to go in the world. Another eight and a half million. You know, another eight and a half million will be for efforts at evangelization. We've got all kinds of things going on, you know, in this diocese. We have Focus. We have St. Paul's Outreach. We've got the Catholic Men's and Women's Conferences. We've got Hard as Nails is another group that's coming here to our diocese. We have uh, Damascus Missionaries. We've got all these kind of lay apostolates as well as the diocese's own efforts that need support, right, and to bring the good news of salvation to those around us. And the other eight and a half million is going to go for vocations, vocations to the priesthood and religious life. We need boots on the ground in this diocese. When I was ordained, I made a comment. People laughed. It's not so funny. In the Diocese of Columbus this past year, more bishops were ordained than priests. This year, there will be one ordination to the priesthood. So in two years' time, the number of priests will be equal to the number of bishops ordained for the Diocese of Columbus. It's not good enough. Real presence, real future? Okay, it's about the future, but I don't want to have to make decisions again 25 years from now about parish mergers and closures. I want to grow the business of the church in the Diocese of Columbus. You know, I need... And I need your help. Eight and a half million will be for vocations to the priesthood. In your packets, you'll see... These little cards, Father Bill Hahn's been hard at work trying to recruit. I'm happy to announce we've got about 14 or 15 young men in application for next year alone. But all those guys need an education, and they also eat a lot. So the Catholic Foundation will have a, has, has some brochures. Hopefully you can participate in this campaign. But the best way to participate is to pray for vocations. And if you see a young man who you think exhibits these virtues, encourage him. Encourage him to get on the road and be a co-worker. All of you, actually, no matter what your state in life, are called to be co-workers in the vineyard of the Lord, to be spiritual entrepreneurs. So all of that I can do in English off the cuff. Uh, in Spanish, we'll give a little summary here of just what I said. You'll see I'm much more brief in Spanish. Para resumir, en español, estamos llamados a ser emprendedores. Un emprendedor es una persona que es líder, no solamente un empresario. Soy un líder en mi familia. Un emprendedor es alguien que se enfoca en su misión, en su tarea. Él sabe cuáles son dones y talentos y puede identificar los dones y talentos de otros y trabajar con ellos. ¿Hago esto en mi familia, en mi trabajo, en mi parroquia? ¿Estoy enfocado en la misión de evangelización y santificación de mi familia o me distraigo fácilmente? Un emprendedor es un vendedor. Comparto activamente la buena nueva. 
Lo hago con una actitud positiva y con gran ingenio. Soy un entusiasta por mi fe o por el, por el contrario. Estoy apagado para compartirlo. Un emprendedor es una persona con integridad. Soy yo un modelo de los valores y virtudes del evangelio para los miembros de mi familia, vecinos y colegas. Finalmente, un emprendedor es un siervo líder. Estoy preparado para sacrificarme primero o espero que otros lo hagan. Spanish is also a much faster language, uh, but I was much more brief. They told me, you know, when, uh, when I first became a priest, the five keys to life and ministry, the five P's, pace, patience, perseverance, perspective, and prayer. Another priest said to me, well, when it comes to preaching, you have to remember the five B's. I said, what are those? They said, be brief, brother, be brief. <laughs> Never learned that too well. So when we speak of being a spiritual entrepreneur, we're being forward-looking. I want to grow the business of the church, grow the church in the Diocese of Columbus, and to expand rather than contract. I never want to be in this position again. But in other words, when we cast the vision, we also have to think about the past. How do we get here? Why do we get here? And we could talk all we want about lack of vocation, secularization, smaller families, the decline in rural life, all those sorts of things that contributed. I don't want to dwell too much on the past, but this being Lent, I do want to talk to you a little bit about uh, a scriptural passage I've been meditating on. I've been meditating on it because I've been corresponding with uh, Eric Varden. I got it when I was nominated bishop. He wrote me a nice card, and I thought, well, this is interesting. This, this Cistercian monk in Norway, Trondheim, uh, is writing to me, congratulating me. I wrote him back. I did not realize he was a bishop, but then I read an article that he wrote, and I said, oh, this is a bishop. I'll write back to him. And we've been corresponding back and forth, and he wrote this book called The Shattering of Loneliness. And one of his chapters is entitled, Remember the Wife of Lot. Most of you might not remember this passage from Scripture, but it's in, it appears in St. Luke's Gospel. In the 15th chapter of St. Luke's Gospel, we have a great story about God, great stories, really, about God's mercy. The, the one lost sheep and the good shepherd leaves the 99 to find him and rejoices, brings him home rejoicing. We have the story about the woman who loses her one coin and sweeps the whole house to find that one coin, rejoicing that she's found her lost coin and has a big party worth more than the, the, the value of the coin. And then finally, the story of the prodigal son, a story of God's mercy. In the 16th chapter, then we have stories about judgment, okay, and about the steward uh, who will be subject to judgment, and then about the rich man and, and Lazarus, the poor man. And the rich man does nothing to help Lazarus, and Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man is burning in the fires of Gehenna. And then in the 17th chapter, Jesus begins his journey up to Jerusalem, and he's talking about the impossibility of actually predicting the day or the hour when the Son of Man would come. And he speaks about Noah and the great flood and how the waters came and washed away everything, and only Noah and his family were left behind. And then he said, remember the wife of Lot. It's an obscure line, and some of you might not even remember who Lot himself was. But in order to remember the wife of Lot, we ought to think about Lot himself. Who was Lot? Well, he was the nephew of Abraham, right? And so he's journeying with Abraham, and then Abraham and Lot have a choice of, of, of land, and 
Lot chooses one way and he goes his way and Abraham goes the other way. Lot winds up in Sodom and he marries a woman from Sodom, his wife, whose name we do not know. And of course, Sodom and Gomorrah is a place of great, great immorality. And so Lot is warned and he, has to, he begins to flee. He's told to go far away from there because God's going to destroy the city. But he says, well, only let, let me only go a little ways away. And he takes with him his wife. And his wife turns back, and she's turned to a pillar of salt. What ends to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. What are we to make of this? Well, first of all, let's think about Lot. Was Lot as convicted by the God of Abraham as Abraham himself was? Why didn't he, he bring with him not just his wife, but all his family members and all his neighbors? Maybe Lot wasn't that convicted at all. He was living in a pagan world amongst pagans. Maybe he believed a little bit in the God of Abraham. Uh, and so God wanted to get him out of there. But is that all? Maybe he didn't take his faith seriously enough. And so nobody took him seriously. Not his wife, not his friends, not his co-workers. And so he said, well, this, the city's going to be destroyed. I'm, my wife and I are getting out of here, and nobody goes with him. What does it say about his own spiritual leadership in his family and in his, the place where he lived? Did he really take his faith seriously, or did he not? And if he didn't, why would anyone else take his faith seriously, or take him seriously for that matter? It's something for us in our context to think about. As we remember the wife of Lot, we should remember Lot. Origen of Alexandria, who's one of the fathers of the church, uh, also said, well, there's a, an interpretation of this where between Lot and his wife, as we remember the wife of Lot. Lot believed in the God of Abraham, and therefore, even if his faith was weak, he still believed. And so Lot represents right reason, that group that pursues the truth, right thinking about things of the world and faith. And his wife, who is from Sodom, represents the things of the flesh, not thinking about the things of the God, but the things of the world, the things that give us pleasure. Lot says, let us go over a little ways, not far from here, and that's what Lot can do. But even just going over a little ways, his wife looks back. She looks back at the pleasures of the world, and she is turned to a pillar of salt. She doesn't look forward to what God is preparing for her and Lot and how he is showing them great mercy. Rather, she prefers the old way of living. The same is true for the disciple. We should think about what was life like before I knew Jesus Christ? What was life like before I was convicted or I had my conversion moment? Could I ever go back to living the way before? Could Peter, Andrew, James, and John, or Matthew, the tax collector, ever have gone back to just being fishermen or just being a tax collector? Lot's wife looked back. She didn't want what God offered. What about us? Do we look back? Do we look back at our old way of living and take delight in it and long for it more than what God is offering us now in the present moment? Do we act according to reason or do we act according to the flesh? This is what each of us as men is confronted with. 
You will recall in late January, throughout the whole Diocese of Columbus and every church, your pastor should have played a video for you or played a, a recording with Safe Haven Sunday. We as men are being constantly tempted to live according to the flesh, to return to Sodom and Gomorrah, to be dominated by our passions rather than be pure of heart and seek the things of heaven. In the ancient world, to be a man really meant to be one who is in control of his passion, to use right reason. And this is why, in some circles, chastity was so highly regarded as a virtue because it required a manly sort of discipline. The weak could not do it. Lot represented, in some interpretations, someone who was stronger than his wife who lived only across the flesh, who lived only according to the flesh. We ourselves are called to use right reason in choosing our true good, that which God has prepared for us versus our apparent good. Remember the wife of Lot. Eric Varden goes on to say that, you know, perhaps it wasn't that that Lot's wife was so bad. Actually, she probably thought about her parents and maybe her family members, about the place where she used to play and where she grew up and all these sorts of things which were good. But is it better than what God offers? For us, this is the decisive choice as to whether we should be a disciple or not and whether we are ready to experience the pain of loss in order to be the person God is calling us to be. Jesus is constantly saying, unless you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me, you cannot be my disciple. So what are we prepared to endure for the faith, for Jesus Christ, for our families? What are we prepared to suffer out of love? Many men have high pain thresholds, are willing to suffer a lot of things physically. But what about emotionally? What about spiritually? What truly are we willing to sacrifice for love? Lot's wife? Maybe not so much. Lot himself? He could have been, had a greater vision. It's interesting that only after the separation from Lot does God then speak again to Abraham and make to him a promise of many, many descendants. God is going to bless Abraham because Abraham was completely convicted. Remember the wife of Lot. Don't be turned into a pillar of salt. Don't look back, but look ahead to the good things that God has prepared for you. But that starts with this present moment. God calls each of us in this moment to experience His grace. The Jesuit spiritual writer Jean-Pierre de Cossard speaks about the sacrament of the present moment, experiencing God's grace in the here and now, right where He has placed us. Do we do this? God has called us first in baptism. He's called all of us, no matter what our state in life, religious, priest, bishop, husband, father, single person. He's called each of us first and foremost, to be holy. Called to be saints is our theme for today. To say, I want to be a saint, it means I'm committed to holiness, to being immersed into the life of the Trinity, to die to myself, to live for God, to live in the dignity of the sons of God. To say, I want to be holy, is to say, I stand here as a candidate for paradise. We're not always the best candidates, 
but we're a candidate. We're on the list. We want to get there. Sometimes we need good witnesses to get there. Today we're speaking about called to be saints, but also the immaculate heart of Mary. So returning to the idea of being a spiritual entrepreneur, let's consider the Virgin Mary. The Second Vatican Council places Mary in the document on the church. Mary is considered to be the model disciple for all of us, a model of holiness and grace for us, immaculate from the first moment of her conception. How is Mary a spiritual entrepreneur? Well, Mary has a vision, and her vision was rooted in the Scriptures of God who is faithful to His promises, to His covenant. And so when the archangel Gabriel appeared to her, she could say, let it be done to me according to your word. Her vision was God's vision. We as men want to assert ourselves. This is how it's going to be. This is what we're going to do. This Blessed Marie Eugene of L'Enfant Jesus is a Carmelite. He says, the saints are saints not because they conquered but because they allowed themselves to be conquered by God. Mary did just that, and so she had the vision of God. She is immaculate in her heart, and we would think of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Her vision was always of God and God's plan, and so when something great was asked of her, even as a young person, she could say, yes, let it be done to me according to to your word. And that was her vision even when it would cause her pain at the wedding feast of Cana. Woman, what is this concern of you? what is this concern of yours? But Jesus responded to the couple's need. Mary always had God's vision in mind even when it caused her pain and she had to see her son die upon the cross. Mary was also focused. She had a mission. Her mission was to be mother of the redeemer. She did not get distracted from this mission. Perhaps it did cross her mind. What will I tell my parents? What will I tell Joseph? Oh, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed me, and that's how I conceived this child. Who would believe it? But she knew, even she, if she had to suffer in silence, this is what God is asking of me. Fortunately, Joseph was a just man, right relationship with God and his neighbor. He was immersed in the things of God, and God spoke to him in a dream, and he too Simple carpenter that he was, had the vision of God and could respond to God's word that came to him through the angel in a dream, and he took Mary as his wife, right? And so she found someone who could compliment her and help her to fulfill her mission of being mother of the Redeemer. And Joseph found a place for them to stay. It wasn't much. It was a stable. And Joseph led them to, to avoid Herod and the slaughter of the innocents. Joseph was a real leader as a man in the faith, but he complimented Mary in her mission. And so Mary was focused on being the mother of the Redeemer, and not only the mother of the Redeemer, but even by being faithful to Jesus to the end of his earthly life, she could hear those words, son, behold your mother, woman, behold your son. And so Mary carried out her mission to the very end. She was focused. Mary was a saleswoman. Right? She bear, she's conceived by the Holy Spirit. She has the joy of the whole world within her womb. What does she do? Does she keep it all to herself? 
immediately. Rather than say, woe is me, or what will I do, she goes and visits her kinswoman Elizabeth. And what happens? Elizabeth rejoices. How does it happen that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The baby in her womb jumps for joy because she is out there selling now. I've got the salvation of the world within me, and she brings her son to the whole world. Mary is not only a saleswoman, but she is a woman of integrity. I am the lowly handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Right? She is pure of heart, immaculate. She is always looking out for others. She's a woman of charity. They have no more wine. Mary is a woman of prayer and fidelity. Even after Jesus is buried in the tomb, she's praying. At the time the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost, she's praying with the apostles. She's a woman of virtue and integrity, humble and faithful and pure. Finally, Mary is a servant leader, right? She gives up whatever plans and whatever her life might have been with Joseph for God's greater plan. She's willing to sacrifice. She's willing to sacrifice in letting her son actually go about his mission. And that's a loss for many parents when they have to let their children go. She's willing to sacrifice and accompanies her son even as he goes up to Jerusalem And when all the apostles except John flee, she stands faithfully by the cross. Everything about her is for her family, for her son, because her son is the world's salvation. And so Mary says, here's the words of Jesus, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And in St. John's Gospel, then it says, from that moment, he took her into his home. But in Greek, it actually says, from that moment, he took her into his interior life, the home that is his heart. Do we do that as men? Every man needs a good woman in his life. Perhaps you have your wives, your daughters, but take the Immaculate Virgin into your heart and allow her to teach you how to be a servant leader, how to be a person of integrity, especially in the area of chastity, how to really bring the joy of the gospel, the joy of Jesus Christ to others, how to stay focused on the task at hand, and finally, how to seek the face of God, to have the true vision of God. Mary says, my immaculate heart will triumph. I think of St. Maximilian Kolbe, who was very devoted to the Immaculata. There in a concentration camp in Auschwitz after a prisoner had escaped, ten, were to be, ten men were to be killed. And he says, I am a priest. I will take his place. And he laid down his life so that another man could live. When we are close to the Immaculata, we grow in virtue. And we become the men God has called us to be. We become the saints he has called us to be. Estamos hablando sobre ser emprendedores espirituales y discípulos. El modelo de discípulo es María. Ella lidera por su ejemplo, escuchando a Dios y diciendo sí a Dios. Ella se enfoca en su misión de ser madre del Redentor y trayendo a Cristo al mundo. Ella es un vendedora 
que va inmediatamente llevando la buena nueva a Isabel. Ella es una mujer de integridad, sin mancha, ni imperfección, humilde y pura de corazón. Ella es fiel hasta el final. Ella es un siervo líder. Ella soporta sus siete dolores y el traspaso de su inmaculado corazón. Inmaculado corazón. Aún así, ella permanece fiel a su hijo al pie de la cruz. Se le dice al discípulo amado, aquí tienes a tu madre. Desde ese momento la recibió en su casa. En griego, en realidad dice, la recibió en su vida interior, en su corazón. Sigamos el ejemplo de San Juan y pidamos a la Virgen que intercede por nosotros para que nuestros corazones sean moradas puras y así podamos llevar a cabo lo que nuestra misión nos demanda. Yes, we want to be spiritual entrepreneurs looking toward the future that God has prepared for us in the Diocese of Columbus. We want to think back to the past and remember the wife of Lot and to say, my life and my family's life will be different from that of Lot and his wife. I will look forward to the good things God has prepared for us. And finally, we want to say, I will look forward to the good things God has prepared to us because God is faithful to his promises. And we see this in the example of the Immaculate Virgin Mary. We can take her into our hearts and so grow in holiness and be the man, men we are called to be. St. Francis de Sales, the patron of our diocese, says, Be who you are and be that well in honor of the master craftsman whose handiwork you are. Be who you are and be that well. That means be saints. You are called to be saints, and I have every confidence that with the Blessed Virgin Mary interceding for you and with her son Jesus, our high priest, you can fulfill your mission, your destiny in God. Thank you very much. God bless you.